0: Uh, begin by just saying Happy New Year. Year. I can tell you're excited about it. Here, let me try again. Happy New Year. 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 How many of you had a nice Christmas and New Year's? Enjoy it? Fun? Good time? How many of you actually made time during those holidays to get some special family pictures? How many of you did that? Okay, um, <clears throat> we did the same, and I have to tell you, uh, after looking at your pictures on Facebook, it left me feeling a little bit less than, and a little bit ashamed. Um, your pictures were like stunning compared to mine, and uh, I, don't know, I'm, I don't know if it's the work of the photographer, or if it's the product they had to work with, I'm not sure, but I was, I'm sorry, Um, um, I'm sorry, Um, okay, let let me show you some of our pictures, just so you can see, we're going to put them up here, so uh, do you have, like this one, okay, yeah, okay, can you go to the next, yeah, that's better, all right, Yeah, 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 all right, Oh, wait, what's that one? Oh, that's Will and Jillian and Tessa. And oh, there's Jeremy in the back, just like, come on. Okay, next one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, next. Next. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh. Uh, next. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. Got one. Okay, oh, uh, yeah. Next. Yeah, okay, <laughs> That was the hippo for, that's just for you, Myrna. Um, okay, okay, That that's it, that's it. That's the pictures. I have to tell you, I confess, every one of them was Photoshopped from somebody else. They're not really us. We just put our faces on them. Um, this is really us. Could you put up this picture? This is really us, yeah, yeah. That's life in the Lonaville family, and that's what we're really like uh, Uh, yeah. You've got Gabby. I look like I'm mad at her. I'm not. I'm trying to make a face to make her smile because she's screaming, crying. You've got Caleb down below who's like, why are you torturing me? And Will's wanting to shake his hand to say, I'm with you, buddy. (laughs) And there's Maggie. She says, I'm out of here. And there's Natalie choking her sister. Yeah, it was a good picture. It was a good day. Now, I got to tell you the truth. I love our family. I love our time together. This really does represent what it looks like to be in the Lonaville clan. And it might seem chaotic and crazy to you, but in the end, I'm sorry. It's our family, and we like our family, and we're glad for it. But here's my point, and you can take the picture down now so that they don't get distracted by that. I believe that most people, even Christians, feel an almost oppressive drive, uh, I think, created by Hollywood and Hallmark, created by Pinterest and Facebook. They feel this oppressive drive to look better than they really are, to somehow be more than that. And when it doesn't happen, we're left feeling ashamed. Um, We got a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, uh, some kind of pot. What's it called? A what? Instant pot. It's legal in New York State now. (laughs) We got the ability to be happy (laughs) Uh, and hungry. For those of you that remember back to those days. Um, We got an Instant Pot. And I got to tell you, it's like you get this thing and it's like, this is supposed to solve the world problems. But then you look at it and you think, how does this thing work? It's like you're supposed to just throw ingredients. So we're throwing ingredients in and when we get it back, there's just this mush. How does this thing work? And that's kind of what happens. You, You... You read Pinterest, and you look at their pictures. You look at Facebook pictures, and you think, everybody's doing way better than you are. But I want to suggest to you, that's just not true. Everybody is just normal. And here's my point, and why I'm using that as my kind of introduction. The subject matter that I've been kind of assigned to speak to you on today is one of those that I believe most Christians are left feeling guilty and ashamed. They feel like they're less than. And in fact, unless you're like... um, Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke. There's not a Christian out there that doesn't feel like they just don't do really well at this. And that's the subject matter of evangelism. Evangelism. I'm supposed to talk to you about evangelism today. And as soon as you hear that word, if you're like a lot of us, something goes off inside of you that gives you this sick sinking feeling. And it's not because you're afraid that the bills are going to lose. It's because, how do I do that? I'm not Billy Graham, um, we know that Jesus only gave two primary commands to us when it comes to this. The first command is to come. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, follow me. And we like that. Some of us are pretty good comers. we we're like, we're going to go after him after doing this reset for the last week for some of you. It's like, and by the way, some of you uh, I heard today were confused. We are doing reset together as a church and you're supposed to be doing one lesson a day and so that we do it separately but together. Some of you thought we were going to do one lesson every week. In fact, you thought John was going to be preaching for the next 20 weeks, I was told this morning, just so that you know it, John. Uh, You thought Pastor John would be the one who would be preaching for 20 weeks in a row, each one on the chapter. That's not the way it is. You're supposed to actually be reading the particular chapter for that day and going through. And if you're lost... It's okay. Today was on repentance, so you can get caught up so you know where you are tomorrow, okay? So today was all about being transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't be conformed to this world, that kind of thing. So that's what it's about. So if you don't know where you're at, you can catch up there. But when it comes to evangelism, we like the idea of coming to Jesus, and we want people to come to Jesus. But Jesus didn't only say come. He also said go. And when we hear the word go, we don't think green light, We think red light. We think stop sign. We think, okay, this is what it's about. I'm not going because I'm not good at this. I don't know how to talk to people. I'm not good like some people are with other people. As we're launching, though, into 2018, I want to present the idea of evangelism in a way that I think is a little bit more uh, simple, a little bit more organic, a little bit more natural, a little bit easier and I want you to catch this morning this idea that the kind of evangelism that I want to talk to you about very briefly this morning is the kind of evangelism that I believe Jesus and the early disciples used regularly. Um, in fact, uh, I believe it's a more natural style of evangelism that didn't mean going out onto the street corners wearing sandwich board signs. That's not what it's about. It, it's, a, it's a lot more natural. It's, it's kind of like... Um, Uh, sharing your life with people with whom you already come in contact, people who are your friends. That's kind of what this is like. So you can put up the next picture. So it's, I'm waiting, next picture, thank you. Um, It's kind of like uh, sitting around a coffee shop and just talking to people that you're already connected with anyways. It's not having to go out and Cold Stone just say, by the way, I want to tell you, turn or burn. That's not what this is about. It's a little bit more natural than that. I believe that Jesus in the Gospels, and you find the disciples in the book of Acts, right up through the rest of the epistles, much more naturally approaching people with whom they come in contact. In fact, one of the things that's interesting is we get this whole idea about going from Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. But the interesting thing is, the way in which the Greek reads there, it would be far more accurate to say that that translation should read, as you're going, make disciples. In other words, as you're already going, as you're already doing the stuff that you're doing. That's kind of what Jesus said. Jesus said, do what I do. And then he took them along with him, And he just would go, and he'd sit down at a well, and he'd talk to somebody there, or He'd be out sitting on the side of a hill talking to people about it, just just people you already know come in contact with. And that's kind of the picture that I want you to catch, this picture of friends sitting around the coffee shop just talking to people that you already know. That's why, for me, one of the things that I really enjoy in my week is going down to Bud's Deli. And I know that some of you make jokes about it, you think it's kind of weird. Some of you have even said, that's where my second office is, and I'm okay with that. But I get to talk to people that I have become friends with that don't come to church and probably don't go to any church. But I get to sit there and have coffee and talk to them. And the irony is, when I first got there, I'd sit alone at a table, and then Dave would come and sit with me. Fortunately, Dave Neeson goes. Dave likes coffees like I do. So Dave would come and sit with me. Well, over time, David seems to know everybody in town. So he would introduce them to me. He said, This is my pastor. And then they would sit and talk. And over time, they would come and they would see me sitting there. and said, "Can I sit here?" I said, "Of course. You know, I've already paid rent on the table. It's okay. Come on, sit down." And so they would sit down. And over time, they would begin to bring up stuff that they're dealing with in their own lives, and ask questions and talk to me about my life. What the, I can't tell you how many times people say, "What's going on in that church down there, anyways?" So what do you mean? Well, we drive by your church, and your parking lot's full. No other church parking lot's full. What are you guys doing down there anyways? I I don't know. We're a cult. I'm pretty sure it's pretty bad. (laughs) And then we talk. But it's much more natural. Would you open up to Matthew chapter 10? Matthew 10. It's really about the only scripture I'm going to be looking at today. I want to be clear that we put a lot of time and effort into making it friendly so that people can come here and be welcomed and be a part with us and you can feel free to invite them. And that's good. If you look at Jesus' life, the scripture says Jesus went regularly into the temple or into his local church as was his custom. But having done that, having gone in and received the life of the Father, he would go out of the temple and he would begin to share that life with people with whom he had relationship. And so that's kind of the model that I see Jesus giving us in the New Testament. So, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. If you'd follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. When he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Thias, Judas, and Bartholomew. Okay, you got all those. All right, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, and there were reasons for that among the Jews, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, if you got a um, pen, underline that in your Bible, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, where's the kingdom, by the way? What does he say? Where does he say it is? At hand. How is it at hand? It's in you. The kingdom dwells in you. You have the kingdom of God inside of you. So as you go, you go and you tell them, I got the kingdom of God in me. Now, you might not use those words anymore because they don't understand that kind of terminology but you can talk to them about what God's doing inside of you, how God has helped you and the things that you have faced. That's really what he's saying. Then he goes on and he says, how does the kingdom manifest itself? He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So the disciples here were sent out into ordinary towns and villages, just like Warsaw or Perry or Pavilion or Attica, just like regular towns. They were sent into those towns and he told them the strategy of the kingdom of God. And I want to suggest to you, the strategy of the kingdom is not transactional as much as it's relational. The purpose of that is you make connection with people for relationship's sake. You're not just using them. They're not just like numbers and noses. This is about making actual relationship with people, connections that are real that then in time allow you to open your own life to them and they could see what the kingdom of God is really about. The kingdom of God was intended to spread from person to person. But in this passage, Jesus gives us a key at the end. He said the way it's going to spread is by what's called a person of peace. It's about finding a person who God has already prepared, who's already open to hear what he has done in you Find that person of peace and begin to invest your time, your energy, and your relationship there. And here's our problem. Most of the time, we spend all of our energy trying to convince people who don't want to listen to us in the first place. Instead of trying to find somebody who actually God has already prepared to hear what's inside of us. Uh, It was back in 1998 that Paul Schultz uh, had begun to feel some call towards missions and he had met a friend uh, through YWAM. <coughs> this friend was from uh, Colorado, I think, or maybe it was Montana, one of those two. I couldn't remember which, and I didn't ask Paul, but I think it was Colorado. And they took a trip to a country called, at that time we thought it was called Kazakhstan. Since that time, we've learned that's not really how it's pronounced, it's Kazakhstan. But he went with his friend to Kazakhstan, and they were praying about whether God might have Paul and his family actually transplanted this new nation to bring the kingdom of God with them. When they came back, they took some time and prayed, and they felt like maybe this was the Lord. So in 2000, Paul took another trip over there, and on that trip, they ended up in this small village just like Warsaw, about the same size as Warsaw, found this small little rural village called Mullaby. And when they went into the village, they were just kind of walking the streets, and this man came up to them and began to talk to them. And he wanted to talk to me. He wanted, Who are you? What are you doing here? You don't look like us. And they talked together. He understood just enough English to have some level of communication. And Paul was learning just a little bit of Uyghur in order to be able to talk to him. So they had a communication. And this guy invited Paul and his family to move to Mullabai. I mean, out of the blue, just said, Would you like to move? In fact, if you will move to this village, we will move out of our house, which was much bigger, and we will move into our work shed. So this man, his name was Akmijan, actually moved out of his house. He had his own house. Moved out of the house and into his shed, he and his wife, so that Paul and Donna would move to Molabai. Akmijan was a person of peace for Paul and Donna. Akmijan opened the door for their involvement in this village called Malabai, which actually had impact broader than that into other villages nearby, and it continues to this day. Just last year, I think it was, Paul and Donna were able to actually travel back and had people whom they had actually witnessed to and led to Christ come and greet them, and the word has continued to spread. The word of the kingdom, not the word of Paul and Donna, the word of the kingdom, because Paul and Donna were just finding a person of peace who was open to hear who could then help them in spreading the gospel everywhere. And you see this happening all over in the scripture, if you think about it. In Acts 16, Paul was going to head to Asia. But that night, he had a dream, and God told him, no, I don't want you to go to Asia, I want you to go to Europe. I want you to go to Macedonia. And by the way, because of that dream, we're here today as we are. Christianity has spread as it has because of what God told Paul in that dream. So Paul makes his way to this little uh, place in Macedonia called Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman garrison. What that means is it was kind of like a microcosm of Rome. It was like taking Rome, miniaturizing it, and putting it on this hill. But Paul was a Christian. He was a believer, and he wanted to talk to people about God, and he thought, well, if I'm going to talk to anybody about God, it's got to be somebody who already perhaps has some sort of religious leaning. And about the only religion that would actually practice in that area might have been the Jews. But there was no synagogue because there was a Roman garrison. And he thought, if there's a Jew here who would be open to hear the gospel, they would probably be doing their morning ablations. They would be down cleansing their hands at the river. So Paul and his companion made his way down to the river where they came upon this group of ladies who were laundering. They weren't actually religious at all, but they were laundering. They were doing their laundry in the river. And Paul began to talk to them about the Lord and he met a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia actually heard what Paul had to say, actually received it, became a believer herself, and invited Paul and his companion into his house, and every time he traveled through the area, she said, stay with me. She was Paul's person of peace. She was open to hear what Paul had to say. Ironically, while Paul was sharing the gospel from her house of peace, some people in the town got upset with him and had him hauled off to jail. But even in jail, Paul was looking for somebody who was open to hear the gospel. And while there, he began to talk to the jailer. And the jailer and his whole family become Christians there in Philippi. There are people that God has prepared ahead of time for you to be able to share your life with, your story. So what I want you to catch today is this is far more normal than like uh, going out on the streets and stopping people and trying to talk to them. I can remember as a kid, um, we, we had just started going to church, and my brother-in-law, Dave Reynolds, was attending a church of God in Waterloo. We'd never been there before. We had gone to this uh, church downtown called the Assembly of God, but he was at Church of God, and he was dating my sister, and he said, hey, we're going out and we're doing street evangelism. I'd never even heard of it. And so we literally went to the streets of Waterloo. Now, you've got to remember, Waterloo is our town. Everybody knows you. And so we're standing on the street, and I'm thinking, I wonder what we're going to do. David actually takes this uh, wooden crate, sets it up on the corner of the street, and we're all standing around him thinking, what are we doing? He stands up on this wooden crate and begins to shout to people at the top of his lungs. I can remember one of the guys uh, I won't say his name unless somehow this gets out, but one of the guys who was a, a guy in our town, he had failed like three grades. He was like, uh, like we were like um, sixth graders, and he was shaving his beard every day. I mean, this was like a guy who was like uh, man-mountain, but it's because he had been kind of held back a few times. Uh, he, he also, by the way, had a police record. He was an interesting guy. But uh, David... <laughs> David was just, he was fearless. And I can remember David yelling out his name and said, you. And he calls him my name. Stop right where you are. If you don't listen to me, you're going to hell. I think, whoa, that's street evangelism? I don't think I like this. I think he's going to come over and beat us up. That's not how Jesus handled evangelism. He actually went out and talked to people who were open to actually hearing what he had to say in a far more natural way. God's not asking you to memorize the four spiritual laws or to go back to Bible school so that you know enough to finally be able to talk to people about God. He's asking you merely to tell people what God has done for you. What's your story? How did you come to know God? How did you come to have a relationship with God? What has God done for you? When you have faced crises, how has God helped you? And I gotta tell you, People are very much open to hearing that kind of thing when it's your story. People can argue with your understanding about things. You're like, you might sit down and you might talk with somebody and they would argue and say, oh, that's not what I believe. But they can't argue with what God has done in you. And that's why it's so much simpler just to tell your story. And then over in Luke 10, you know, back in Matthew 10, which I've already read to you, in Matthew 10, it was sending out the 12 apostles, but these were the big guns. They're, they're not like us. They were better than us. We know that. But in Luke 10, He sends out the regular people like us. Luke 10, 1 says this. You don't have to turn there. just one verse. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, beyond the 12, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So now we've moved from the bigwigs to ordinary people just like you and I. And he sent them out But he gave them a strategy, and I think there's a kingdom strategy to how you work this idea of a person of peace. And I want to give you this strategy. It's very simple. There's just a couple of points, but you can take note of them if you want. Number one, the first thing he said in Luke 10 that I think is important is you need teamwork. He sent them out two by two. You need people around you who can support you and help you as you're going out. I don't mean necessarily to go out shoulder to shoulder and talk to people. I don't mean that. I'm not talking about becoming like those folks that you see walking down the street holding their Bibles and their briefcases and having badges on, the elders so-and-so. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who will encourage you and support you personally in your own walk with the Lord and help to give you courage to be able to share your story. Maybe they will sit down at the table with you. Maybe they will be there to help encourage you as you're telling your story. But maybe it's just them saying, I know you're going to be down, down down at Bud's, and I know you're probably going to be talking to so-and-so. You've told me about it at of time. Uh, I just want you to know that while you're there, I'm going to be praying that God will help you, that the door will open for them to be able to hear what it is that you have to say. Jesus was committed to teamwork, to people sharing life together and helping one another. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because if one falls down, he doesn't have anybody to help him. He's stuck. But if there's somebody there, they can help him get up and they can continue on. Even when Jesus wanted a donkey for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he sent two to get that donkey. So there is a sense that Jesus is committed to teamwork. Number two, he's also committed to time. Jesus said the harvest was plentiful, but harvest is a specific season. You know, if you were to talk to Tom Webber, Tom Webber would tell you, Not every season is harvest season. We have seasons where you have to plant, you have to uh, cultivate, you have to till your soil. Other seasons, like right now, where the soil has to take a rest. There are seasons of the year, and not everybody you meet is in the season of harvest for them. You have to be able to discern seasons by how they respond. It might be that when you get together with somebody, you're not actually going to harvest, you're going to plant a seed. You don't know how what you will say will make a difference down the road. I can't tell you how many times over the years I have had people come to me and talk about something I said that I don't even remember ever saying. But something I said that made an impact on their lives. But here they are a year, two years, three years, 10 years down the road, now telling me how what I had said 10 years ago made a difference in their life. Now. It took a while for that seed to germinate and actually produce something. You have to discern seasons. In John chapter 4, the harvest was in Samaria. But over in uh, Luke 10, the harvest was in Judea. You have to know the time and the place and the season. And by the way, I think it's important to know, part of the way we discern season is by what activity we see God doing. Where is God most at work? And I think for us as a church Right now, one of the harvest seasons that we're seeing is among our children. We're seeing children open to being able to hear, to walk into this. I know that for some of you, having the kids up here is distracting, and I understand, I really do. I could be distracted, easily. But that's part of the reason why I try to close my eyes. Ignore what's going on, let them kind of worship God at their own level. Do some of them get loud? Yes. Are some of them, you know, a little bit raucousy? Yes. But our kids are learning what it is to grow up in an environment where we are passionate about worship. And I want them to know it's a safe place. So right now, our emphasis, and I think rightfully so, is there is a harvest to be had among our children. And we're going after it. I don't know what the next season is going to be for the church. Maybe it will be for the seasoned saints. I don't know. But whatever it is, we're going to go after it, discerning what season we are in. Number three, not only teamwork and time, but target and this might seem redundant, but we have to be careful not just to kind of go after a target like we're shooting a shotgun so it's got a wide spread. We need to be a little bit more pointed like with a rifle or, or like with archery where you're hitting a specific target with a very specific implement that you believe God has given you at that time. We're looking for a person of peace. Someone who is open to hearing what you have to say and they might not even be open to the gospel yet, but they're open to you. They're open to relationship with you. So when that happens, you kind of make them your target then. You make them, that's going to be my focus for right now. Right now, for whatever reason, God has put three or four guys down at Bud's who will come. I was down there Saturday. I went down briefly. I was intending to be very brief. I was going to get my coffee and come back. I took on, done my devotions, went down to Bud's. I thought I'd get a refill, come back. I got things I got to do. As I'm getting there, nobody else is in this place. Nobody else other than the workers are there. I get my coffee, I set it on the table, and a guy walks in who I've known for a while. Uh, I I won't tell you his name. But anyways, he's come in many, many times. He's into working out, he's into fitness. He came in with shorts on. I'm thinking, are you crazy? In this kind of weather, it's like negative 26 and you're wearing shorts. But he comes in and he sits down and he talks to me for probably 40 minutes again, I can tell you this, I don't think, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think the name God came up one time. Not once. And I didn't feel bad about it at all. Because he came to make connection with me. And over time, I'm believing that God will open the door for him to maybe open a question or make a comment that will open the door for me to share what God has done in my life. Not what he's doing here, what he's done in my life, personally. Now, if he asks me about the church, I'll tell him but I am looking for a specific person or persons whom God is putting in my life to be able to have relationship at this time. And having done that, having recognized this is a person that just seems to constantly come in and want to talk, then I am going to cultivate that relational seed that's there. I'm going to have relationship with them. It's the kind of thing that... um, Campus Target does. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Campus Target. Uh, They're a ministry that came out of Elam, and they're really, really engaged in China. But one of the tools that they do is they go to China, and they commit to go. They used to commit for a year. I think it's nine months now. Uh, But they go to China, and what they do is they go onto campuses where they have what they're calling English Corners, where people who are Chinese, who know Mandarin Chinese, but don't know English well, want to learn English. And so they all sit around here talking English to one another, trying to practice, and you get an American who actually grew up with English, you're like hot stuff there. And these people want to have relationship with you. They invite you to go out for coffee or tea. They invite you to their house, and they want to be involved. Or some of them meet friends on the basketball court or playing soccer or something like that. They're just doing life and making connections and believing God that in time the door will open for them to share the gospel. And then that leads me to number four, which is the task. It's to remember that that relationship has a purpose. It's not that we're using that person. It's we recognize what we are about is people's eternal souls. Their salvation is crucial. So it's not just enough that I want relationship. I want relationship with them. I want to be friends with them. I want to open that door. But I want to open the door so that in time, my task is to actually share my story, to perhaps lead them one step closer to God. He said that when you go into this town and you find this person of peace, you're to say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Find their area of need and allow God to use you to speak into that need. And one of the things I have found, even at Bud's, Is I have never once had somebody say to me they're not willing for me to pray for them. They might share what's going on in their life and it happens regularly. They're dealing with a situation. They're dealing with a friend, maybe. They're telling me a story about somebody who's a friend of theirs who just had a bad accident or whatever, that kind of a thing. And I'll say to them, well, would it be okay if I just pray for them right now? Yeah, I guess. I said, no, I won't do it loud, just you and I quietly. And I lower my voice so they're not embarrassed but I will pray specifically for their friends. And I want them to know that I'm somebody they can come to when they have need, who will care about them and pray for them. And part of this task issues where I'm sharing is I'm looking for a safe place to be able to share, which might mean I invite them out for coffee or I invite them out for a donut or uh, invite them over to the house and talk to them about things, that kind of a stuff. I make it my purpose to having established relationship, not using them, but true relationship, true friendship, I want to be able to tell them about the most important thing in my life, and that's Jesus. I want to be able to make that happen. And then finally, number five, trouble. Uh, Jesus said, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. The issue is not if, but when. You will face resistance. You will find people that you're trying to build a relationship with, you felt like it was your person of peace, you felt like somehow God had opened that door, and you will find, just like Jesus did, people will reject you and your message. Think about how Jesus gave the rich young ruler the opportunity to leave all and follow him, to get your life in me. And the scripture says he went away sad. He rejected the message and Jesus himself. And there will be people who will reject you who won't want to hear what you have to say. And the reason why I say that is if you know that up front, when it happens, you won't take it quite so personally. It won't be quite so hard because you knew. It could happen. I'm going to pour my life in, and I don't know that, by the way, just because they reject me right now, that that means it's forever. Who knows what will happen down the road, that anything that I have planted in them by the Spirit might actually come to fruition. Um, Not everyone who heard what Jesus had to say, appreciated what Jesus said. Think about the, the religious leaders of his day who rejected almost everything he had to say. But he continued to spread the news of the kingdom. And you use normal things in your life. Maybe for you it's your, uh, Dave, your ability to fix machines. And you have a friend and you've tried to reach out to them and he's got a problem and you say, okay, why not come on over and we'll help. We'll do this together or you have some other hobby that you like, uh, golf, and you want to play golf together. You say, hey, you want to go over to Silver Lake and play around together. You make opportunity. You use the things that God has put in you to be able to open that door wider and wider for the sharing of the gospel. So that we have made evangelism almost about if somebody doesn't come, hear the gospel as a composite package right now, and get saved, I've failed. And I would suggest you haven't failed at all. If you have made relationships with people that are opening doors for you to share, then you have made somebody move along the line. There's a guy by the name of Dr. James Engel. You can put up that picture if you would. Uh, he kind of came up with what's called the Angle scale. Don't worry about all of the words. I don't care about that so much as I want you to see the, the scale has positive numbers and negative numbers. You're going to meet people that are different places on the scale. Some might be a negative 10. Some might be a negative two. They've already heard the gospel, they understand it, but they've not been willing to accept it. Some have never even heard before. I've gone to places in the world where people have never even heard the name of Jesus. So they're way off the scale. Some are opposers of the gospel. They've heard enough, they've rejected it, they oppose it. And my my personal calling is not to get them from negative ten to plus five in one fell swoop. Mine might be to get them from negative ten to negative nine give a little bit of movement along the road of coming to know God. And recognizing that my job isn't the harvest. My job is to be faithful to serve in the harvest. His job is the harvest. He says he's going to send out angels for the harvest. My job is to be faithful, to look and to see the harvest is ripe, where is it hot ripe, to be able to have other people who stand with me in doing this, and then to begin to discern and note who is my person of peace? Who is it that God has put in my life that I want to open that door more and more. And it hopefully will be people that you're already friends with, people that you already make contact with on a regular basis. I mean, part of the reason why I go to Bud's, and I know for some of you, you feel like it's a waste of time. We pay you to be here. What are you doing down there? It's because here, all I see are you people. And you already know. In some ways, it's like what we say every Sunday is redundant. You've heard it before. What we want to say is, Do it. I go down there because some of them, I don't know that they have heard or that they've heard it in a way that I think is right. Because i got to tell you, some of the things that I hear from people down there, I don't know where they heard the gospel, but it's not the gospel I know. I mean, it sounds pretty angry and mean. I don't think that's how God is at all. And so I want to be able to go there where people aren't looking at me as a pastor. In fact, most of them don't even call me pastor. Amazingly, they call me Chris. I just had somebody ask me just this week, you know, what should I call you? Well, my mom and dad called me Chris. Friends called me Uh, (laughs) Looneyville. I think I like Chris better. Just normal people in normal relationships. I'm not saying it's not appropriate to recognize and honor positions. I think it is. I think the title pastor is an honorable position, but it's a position of relationship. Not everybody is your pastor, but somebody is your pastor. And I think it's appropriate to say pastor so-and-so. I think that's good, but I'm dealing with people who aren't from this church, who aren't believers, and I want to be able to share the gospel with them. So that's why I go down there, not just because I'm lazy and looking to get out of work. So that's it for the day. You want to stand? I was uh, talking to Mark Stoneham before I got up to preach, and I was thinking, okay, I need to cut this way short. I've been thinking this all week long. I've got to cut this short because this is Helps Week. And so I said to Mark, where are the signs? They're not out yet. And he said to me, have they changed weeks? And I said, no, no. The signs were out last night for the worship session, and they're not out now. He goes, that's because they're not on the first Sunday of the month. I said, oh, Okay. (laughs) Too late. Short and to the point, because I thought it was. Would you bow your heads? Why don't you just ask the Lord, who he might already drop in your heart, of somebody that you can actually share your life with. Who might God call your person of peace? Somebody with whom you have already established some level of relationship. Ask him to drop that name right in your mind right now. Say, well, I can begin to curry that relationship. Let them speak to you and say, okay, are there ways that I can deepen that so it can open a door in time to sharing my story? And maybe for you, you say, no, all of my connections are my family who are Christians in this church where everybody's Christians. Maybe you need to look for some other outlets. Some other way that God might actually use you to bring the gospel. Maybe it is in your family. I've got folks in my family that aren't believers. Maybe it's in your family that God would have you to establish something. And as God drops that name, that face, or maybe more than one into your mind, just ask him, God, help me. Help me to know how to say what's in me and when to say it and where to say it. Let God give you courage that you can do it because it's not artificial, it's natural. Sharing your life with people. It happens out there, but I think it's okay to feel free to bring them in here and to say, I think this is a good place. I think we have great people here. Normal people, but good people. So never feel embarrassed or ashamed to invite somebody in. To say, this is a good place. Maybe you'll hear more about God here. I've shared my story, but maybe this will help. And then don't be afraid to connect with somebody else, maybe sitting in this room, who will actually support you. And maybe you get to a point where you say, I've shared my story, I've done my best, but I feel like they're open to more, but I'm not sure how to get there. And they can maybe say, well, let's sit down and talk together. And see God put you with somebody who will help you for teamwork. And recognize that it's not your job to save them. They have one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. It's your job to perhaps be the seed planted that helps them move along the road towards salvation, towards a faith in God. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see. You said, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields for the ripe unto harvest. Help us to see where the harvest is ripe. Help us to see, Father, what you would make clear to us. And then give us courage to go out and do it. To bring the life of Christ that is in us. The kingdom of God dwells within us. To bring that kingdom to bear upon those lives that you put around us. And that they in turn, just like the woman at the well, will actually open up doors for other connections. And it will become exponential. That we will make a difference. Help us not to be afraid, because Lord, we've looked at it in a certain way. Like we have to kind of do this uh, uh, evangelism where we're standing on the street corner and that's uncomfortable. But Lord, the truth is, it's as we're going about our daily stuff we are sensitive to those that you bring in our path. Help us to be your witnesses. You said that you were going to send the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and that we would become your witnesses in Jerusalem, which is our home area, Judea, the surrounding area, Samaria, uh, areas that are difficult for us, challenges, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Help us to be your witnesses, Father sharing the life that you've put in us. We ask for courage, wisdom, discernment, in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.